Well, I'm going to finish up this two-part message. It's a four-part, but anyway, living abundant life out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 7 and read down uh, to the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, But we have this uh, treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may, may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus uh, shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things that which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so living an abundant life. And uh, we saw in the first part of uh, this lesson uh, you know, we li how to live an abundant life. Uh, make it a habit, not an act. We want to be consistent in living our Christian life. And so it's more than just doing something one time, uh, but it's doing the same thing over and over again. So it's a process of consistency that's built upon a life of faith. Uh, it's based on the personality of God and built upon a measurement. And of course, that measurement is Christ. And everything is compared to Christ. Everything is built on Christ. In uh, my Bible class, uh, we've been going through First and Second Timothy and Titus. And so yesterday I had the students write uh, five principles or truths found in each book. Uh, of, of how, what will help you in your Christian life. And then I had them write an answer to her state, that statement in reference to why would that be a help to them in their Christian life. So in three books, they had 15 statements they had to write. And uh, I did that for the reason that if one, it's one thing to know the Word of God or study the Word of God, but it's quite another to apply it. And uh, we can have Bible knowledge without Bible application. And uh, so I wanted them to do that. It was great today. I had them go through and we were just having them interact and, and tell us what they felt was important to their Christian life. And it was a great time uh, just assessing and evaluating who they are in Christ and how uh, God can work in their life and what they need to be focused on. So if they're going to live an abundant life, then they need to know how to make an application of the word of God in their life. 
And uh, well, so, first of all, we saw this as we started this lesson. We saw we need to identify goals. An abundant life is going to set some goals. In Philippians 3, we're not going to turn it over there. We already read through this. There's the action, in case you didn't have the first notes. Paul said, I press. And so it answers the question, uh, how am I going to get there? You got to keep pressing, you got to keep going. You know, sometimes you just got to get out of bed and get going. And uh, sometimes you don't feel like uh, uh, facing the day. You don't feel like dealing with the problems and difficulties in the world. But if you want to have an abundant life, you just got to get up and you got to get going. And so it gives the action. We see letter B, it was the direction. He said, I press towards. And so there's got to be direction. You are heading in some direction. You realize that whether you're running towards the Lord or you're running away from the Lord, you're going in some direction. And so it would be well for us to live an abundant life by letting the Lord direct our life and head in the direction he wants us to be in. And then letter C was the destination. He said, I press towards the mark of the prize. And so that answers, what is my goal? We want to get a prize. We want to see the reward. And we are going to receive rewards when we get to heaven. And so I want to stay on track, stay on course. I want to be able to glorify the Lord and live a life that is enjoyable. Letter D is the vocation. He says, towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. And so we have a vocation. And it's not that, don't believe that's speaking in reference to the pastor or missionary or somebody in full-time Christian work, as we would call it. Uh, I believe it's talking about everyday living of the Christian. Um, why am I doing what I'm doing? We've been called by God. We've been impressed upon by God. This is what our life is supposed to be. Then letter E deals with the opposition because he says he had fought a good fight. And so he explains that question, answers uh, the question, uh, why is it so difficult and uh, sometimes it just seems like it just you can't get ahead. It seems like you can't succeed. But yet uh, God has called us to press on and we need to keep the faith. And then letter F we talked about was the completion. Paul said, I fought a good fight. And then he said, I've kept the faith. And so we need to keep the faith. It tells me how did I get here? And we can be successful. We can be victorious. And that's why I wanted to sing that song, Victory in Jesus, tonight. We can live an abundant life uh, when we finish the course that God has for us. And uh, I like what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, when I think of vision, I have in, my, in mind the ability to see above and beyond the majority. And uh, so we need to get in agreement with God and know that God uh, is always right. And God always uh, uh, wins. Uh, our, song, our choir is singing a song on Sunday, Nothing Ever Can, Nothing Ever Will. And uh, I was in, on the bus yesterday. I had to drive for a uh, field trip uh, with the kids, and I was reading through the Bible, and the Lord impressed on my heart a sermon. I wrote out the sermon yesterday for Sunday, and the title is Our God is Victorious. And I think sometimes we forget that. God's still on the throne. He's still in control. And so if I want to be successful, I want to live an abundant life, I got to live within the realm of the reality that my God always wins. He never loses. 
And uh, if God is always winning, then I want to be on his side because then I'm on the winning side. Amen. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, uh, there's a, we need to establish priorities if we're going to be able to live an abundant life. In Matthew 6, 33, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So there is personal accountability. He says, seek ye. So that's a direct command to those that he's speaking to. When you read it, he's talking to you. Uh, we need to uh, take responsibility for ourselves in pursuing the God of heaven. And uh, literally, uh, a steward, moreover, is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. And so there's one person that's going to give an account for your life, and that's you. And I always get tickled uh, when you have kids do, have to get disciplined in the school. It's always somebody else's fault. You know, it's amazing to me. Everybody gets in trouble. It's never their fault. They never do anything wrong. And it's like, how come you're always in my office if you never do anything wrong? And, uh, and we live our Christian life like that. That's the problem. We live our Christian life like, uh, well, it's not my fault. It's the world that I'm living in. It's, it's not my fault. It's my friends or my family. It's not my fault. Well, yes, it is your fault because you have to personally seek after God. You have to make that decision. I can't make that for you. And just like you can't make it for me. But we are, have to be account, accountable unto our God. Seek ye. That's your job. That's your responsibility. That's your priority is to go after the Lord. Not only is there personal accountability, but there's uh, practical reliability. Seek ye first, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And so realizing this, uh, when you pursue the word of God, uh, you can rely on the fact that God is, doesn't change and God's kingdom is secure. And I was reading over these uh, this lesson this afternoon, just before church started, and uh, I, I just thought about 2 Timothy uh, chapter uh, 2 and verse 19 in reference to uh, the foundation of God. And uh, it is sure, and the reliability that you have in get, living a life that is abundant is a life that is based on the fact uh, that God's kingdom uh, never fails. He says, nevertheless, the foundation of God stand sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so the practical reliability is what can I rely on? I can rely on the fact that God's kingdom is sure. I can rely on the fact that his foundations are solid. I can rely on the fact that the God who commanded Moses to communicate his law to Israel is the same God who talks to me when I go to him in prayer. It's the same God that speaks to me when I open up his Bible. It's the same God that never changes. I am the Lord. I change not. And so the establishing priorities in life is this. The practical way of living the Christian life is not living based on the culture or the times in which we live because the culture is always changing. 
The times are always changing. And it's an alarming, at an alarming rate, it seems as though, it is constantly changing. And so why would I want to rely on something that is constantly changing? And say, well, I don't understand why I'm not having success. I don't know why I'm not uh, 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 being solid and secure in my life. Well, you need to have a practical reliability of depending upon and turning to the kingdom of God. And it is more important for you to live in the realm of the kingdom of God than it is for you to live in the realm of the secular world that we live in. I know we have to work. I know we have to pay our bills. I understand we have to take care of ourselves. We need to take all these stuff we have that are responsibilities that we must enjoy and face. But the reality is my life is not based on those things. My life has to be based on the kingdom of God. And that's where I experience security and strength. It says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 33 about Jesus, it says, He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And so practical reliability is living in the realm of the fact that God's kingdom is secure, it is solid, it is everlasting, and the, the life that I'm living is not just for the immediate. It's not just for in this life. Our life counts for far more than that. And so we want to be stable in reference to the kingdom of God. So practical reliability. It is not practical to depend on that which is like sinking sand. It is not practical to try to build your life on as if it were on the ocean where the waves are rolling and everything changes. The, way, the practical aspect of living our Christian life is living it in the realm of the kingdom of God. So it's personal accountability, practical reliability. And then letter C is just simply this, our progressive uh, conformity. You know, it's interesting to me that everybody politically, you know, well, if they're liberal, uh, they're progressive. Uh, well, I guess they are progressive, progressively getting away from God. Uh, but the Christian lives a practical, practical life that is in the realm of the righteousness of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're not pursuing God just for a ticket to get to heaven. We're pursuing God because of the fact uh, we want to be connected with his righteousness and his, his character, progressive conformity. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 tells us, For whom the Lord did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So a life that is lived in abundance of God's blessings is a life that lives within the realm that you know that God knew you before you were conceived in the womb. God knew you before you were born into this world. And God knew in his omniscience whether you would be saved or not. He did not predetermine you to get saved. God in his omniscience knows everything, knew that you would be saved. And God predetermined that the outcome of your salvation 
would that be that you conform into the image of the Son of God. That's progressive. That means you're moving towards Christ. Uh, 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 should be moving towards Christ, I should say, in a rapid measure. And um, we were talking in uh, Bible class today, and one of the things that the kids brought up as a practical principle or truth was that we need to be an example to others, because Paul told Timothy, be thou an example unto the believers. And I said, well, that's a, that's a great truth. And he said this, so, uh, I told him this, I said, you realize, have to realize this, that there is always somebody looking at you. There is always somebody who's copying you. And we don't want to think about that because we don't want to take the pressure on us. But the real reality is we're looking to Christ and we're conforming into the image of Christ. We're commanded not to be a stumbling block, uh, but rather be a testimony for the Lord. And it's because of the fact there are those who are watching us and following us. And I shared with them illustration when I was down in Dividing Creek, one of the men down there was a deacon in the church. He was, pa uh, was painting his house. And uh, his five-year-old, I think he was about five years old at the time, son was standing next to him, and he was standing there painting. He had his hand in his pocket like this, and he's painting like this. And I looked over, and there was his little son, five-year-old boy, just standing next to him with his hand in his pocket, painting just like his dad. And uh, he was just watching. He, what was he doing? He was conforming to the example of his father. And, and uh, oftentimes we forget that that's what God desires of us to live a life that is abundant is that we're conforming into the image of the Son of God. It doesn't matter if every Christian compromises in life. You don't have to compromise. It doesn't matter if every church starts going down the path of rock and roll, wherever you want to call it. I don't care. Put any name tag you want. It doesn't mean we have to do that. And so we want to progressively conform to the image of the Son of God. Why? Because that's a priority. If I'm not conforming to the image of the Son of God, I'm conforming to something else. And I always get tickled. Uh, people, you see kids uh, start changing in their demeanor. And right away, first thing, I, first thing I do when I see kids change in their spirit and their attitude, the number one thing I do is ask them, what are you listening to as far as music? Because I'll guarantee you, hands down, there'll be immediate change in the attitude of your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren uh, uh, when they start listening to the wrong music. Hands down, without fail, the music. The second is their friends, who they're hanging around. And you cannot escape that influence. And so what does that mean? If I want to have an abundant life, I need to be progressively going after God. I need to be progressively conforming to the image of, of the Son. I understand that is diametrically opposed to everything that's going on in our culture, but I'm not talking about living according to the culture. I'm talking about living an abundant life. And so we need to be progressively conforming to the image of the Son of God. And then letter D uh, is prosperous, uh, prosperous materially. Uh, you know, in Proverbs chapter 16, it says, When a man's ways 
Please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. God can prosper us in the way of life if we'll just pursue after he. And uh, Luke 6, 38 says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into thy bosoms. And so God can bless us when, with prosperity. And, uh, you know, God's not against money. He's against the love of money. God isn't against prosperity, or why did he prosper Abraham so? Why did he prosper Job? Job was a wealthy man. He lost everything, but God gave him double in the end. I'd like that investment, amen. <laughs> Prosperous, materially, God will bless us if we establish priorities. It's God first. Giving my tithe, giving my offering, giving the missions, giving as God lays it on our hearts. Amen. And if we do that, we'll be able to experience an abundant life. Um, uh, Max Licato said this. I love this statement. A woman's heart should be so hidden in God that a man has to seek him just to find her. You think about that one for a while. And really, that's the way it ought to be in a man's heart. A man ought to be so surrendered, so committed to God that a woman can't even figure out who he is until she goes after God and vice versa. The sad thing is, that's not how we approach life anymore. And, and we've missed out on the abundant life because we're so worried about ourselves and worried about culture and worried about income and worried about possessions and worried about, yeah, but what about God in our life? Uh, R.C. Sproul said this, he said, the closer we are to God, the more the slightest sin will cause us deep sorrow. I mean, really, when was the last time that you sorrowed over a sin in your life? I mean, it broke your heart. It just, it causes you to just have a spirit of mourning in you where you wept before God because you understood that the iniquity in your heart has separated you from your Lord. See, in order to be able to have a life that is abundant life as a Christian, there has to be some priority set. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't just happen. And so we have to set some priorities. Well, number three there, it requires making choices if we're going to be able to set priorities in our life. then certainly we understand that we're going to have to make some choices. And the choices are not always easy to make. Whether you're an adult or whether you're a teenager, uh, the choices that we are faced with every day uh, are challenging to us. At the very minimum, they're challenging to us. And uh, Joshua chapter 24, 15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so it requires making choices. And so he's just saying this, If it seems evil to you serve God, then go ahead, go serve some other God. If you don't think God's worthy of praise, then go serve your false gods. He's not trying to force anybody to do anything. He's presenting to everybody a choice that you have to make. 
And so uh, it, we need to make choices in reference to rising to the role of leadership. Uh, um, if you don't think God is worthy of your praise, then be a leader and go your own way. Take your family and go lead, lead your family to false worship. If you believe that God is worthy of our praise, you believe that God is the only true God, then be a leader in your home and choose to go that way. Be a leader in the church. Be a leader in your community. Uh, I think the, the, the problems we have with becoming a post-Christian nation is because of the fact we lost l Christian leadership in our communities. And it's okay to be a Christian and be vocal about being a Christian and be in politics. I understand the left doesn't like that, but it's okay. And uh, it's a, if they want to be a heathen, that's okay too. But it's all right for you to be a leader by making choices in reference to whom are you going to follow. You're going to follow the Lord, you're going to follow the world. So it uh, requires making choices. An abundant life is also resisting the realm of false worship. Jake, uh, Joshua here not only chose to lead his family uh, to serve the Lord, but he chose to worship the Lord. He resisted the false worship. And uh, I always think of Aaron. I always get tickled when you read about Aaron when Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments and Aaron makes a, a golden calf. And, Noah, and Moses comes down and he's all shook up about it because Moses comes down and he's confronted about his error, his uh, getting involved in false worship. <laughs> the people made me do it, you know. And uh, it's just amazing to me how quickly he was willing to chase after the crowd that was enticing him to do wrong, but how quickly he shifted gears and was going after Moses when Moses showed up and confronted him about it. And so, well, don't, don't kind of be like on this roller coaster going back and forth. No, abundant life is a life that absolutely refuses and resists the realm of false worship. I'm not going to be caught up into these things. And then it also involves remaining committed to God's lordship. And, uh, and it's a, a wonderful thing to read of Joshua and his family serving the Lord. And uh, they weren't afraid to surrender themselves completely to their God. And they were remaining in that realm of servitude to their God. Chuck Swindoll said this, the remarkable thing is, we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. The spirit that you had upon you today is the spirit that you chose to allow to, to dominate you. The spirit that you live by today was not by chance or by accident, it was by choice. And so we need to choose every day whom we are going to serve. We need to choose every day how we are going to live. You say, well, why would I do that? Why would I put that effort in there? Because of the fact I want to live an abundant life. And, and I don't want to live a life that is just completely destructive. 
D.L. Moody said, uh, now just think a moment and answer the question, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And so when we get up in the morning, that's a good question to answer. What am I going to do with Christ today? He is still the Lord. He's still God. He's still in you. He's still ready to bless you. But the question is, what are you going to do with him? And so we need to make choices. If we're going to live an abundant life, it requires making choices. Well, number, where am I at? Four. It requires single-mindedness in the pursuit of it. Single-mindedness in the pursuit of it. In uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so there must be a removal of the conflict of interests. And, uh, you know, it's always interesting. Kids, when they're growing up, they can become teenagers and and uh, everything was wonderful in your home. Everything was going smooth in your home. And everybody was connected in your home. And all of a sudden, they become a teenager. And they get involved in all kinds of other stuff that they shouldn't be involved in. And now, all of a sudden, there's a conflict. You say, how can I solve the conflict in my home? Get, re get rid of the conflict. And uh, so there has to be a removal of the conflict of interest. Whatever, listen, whatever is going to capture my attention away from God has got to go. It's got to be put out of my life uh, because uh, I'm not strong enough to be able to hold on to those things and hold on to God at the same time. You can't do both. You're either going to choose one or the other. And uh, so the removal of conflict of interest. Uh, there must be a reminder of the competition. And Paul, over and over again, speaks of the competition uh, in his life in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He gives the analogy of this competitive spirit. It's interesting that in 1 and 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul uses three analogies of uh, what it takes about being in, enduring in the Christian life. He uses the example of a soldier that endures in the battle. He's not entangled with the things of the world. He uses the analogy of an athlete who uh, strives and to strengthen himself and to compete in the contest he's in. And then he uses the analogy of the farmer uh, who knows that if he plants corn and it's 90-day corn, you're not going to get corn until 90 days after you plant it. And uh, so he has to endure to the end. And so uh, he always is approaching life through this mindset of the competition, of the difficulties that you have to overcome. In 1 Corinthians 9 and 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Uh, that would, he would never make it in America in 2019. Because in America in 2019, they all run in a race, but everybody gets a prize. Well, I'm sorry, there's only one winner. Not everybody is a winner. And Paul said this, you need to realize many get into the race, and they all run in the race, but there's only one that receives the prize, so run so you can get the prize. 
And uh, we, we have created an lethargic type of spirit in our children when it comes to sports because they have no drive to win because they've been taught they deserve to get an award for doing nothing. And then when it comes to the Christian life, we think we can just sit around and do nothing and float along and we're going to get all the rewards. And you're not going to get any rewards. And so it requires a single-mindedness in this pursuit. I've got to get the uh, conflict of interest out of my life. I've got to stay focused on Christ. I've got to get those that are around me that can distract me and pull me down and hold me back from winning the race. I've got to get them off my back so I can run so as to win. And then there must be involvement that is real. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, it says, And every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. That's a real crown. The crown you receive in the world is going to fade away. It's going to rust. It's going to decay. It's going to come to naught. But we're going for a real crown. Then in verse 26, it says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. And so the boxer can run and he can train and he can prepare for the fight and he can run down the streets and as he's running, you know, practice, punch it, whatever, until he gets in the fight and actually hits somebody with those fists, he ain't going to win anything. And Paul's saying, you can run around punching the air all you want. You're not, you're not accomplishing anything. So if you want an abundant life, you got to get single-minded in your focus and remove the conflicts, uh, remember the competition, and then get real about this. And letter D is there must be readiness to control my actions. But I keep under my body and bring into subjection lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And Paul was ready to control his actions. Uh, you got to get yourself under control as a Christian. If you want an abundant life, you got to control your actions. You can't act like other people. You can't get angry. You can't, you can't curse. You can't drink. You can't do all these things that everybody else does. You, you can't be abusive. You can't be negligent. You, can't, you just don't live like everybody else does. If you want an abundant life, you have to decide, I'm going to be ready to control my actions. And then the last thought is this. It requires motivation and effort. You've got to be motivated. And now, uh, um, over the years, I've had kids in our school that just come in and they... They come from backgrounds where they just don't get any instruction. I feel bad for them. They go to school and they learn absolutely nothing. And uh, uh, they come into our school and then they've got all this work they got to do. And I've had more than one kid sit in my office crying. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I tell them all the same in my very quiet, compassionate spirit. <laughs> I tell them all the same, same thing. Don't tell me you can't do it. <laughs> and they look at me. I said, don't tell me you can't do it. My father told me a can't is a lazy man that didn't try. So I said, let's look at this. And I don't know how many kids I've got on my knees as they were sitting in the chair. And I said, let's open up your book and look at it. 
and go through it and say, this is what you need, this is what you do. And then they end up passing the course with a B. See, the problem is we, we are so willing and ready to accept mediocrity. Why, why can't we expect the best rather than settling for the worst? And so it requires motivation and effort. Now I always tell them, you can do it. Now I want to say, man, you're going to get an A on that next test. Don't you worry about it. You get in there, you're going to do it. And I try to give them a positive spirit. And they go at the volleyball game. <laughs> One of the other teams was competing on, I think it was Friday night or whatever, and they were losing. And I know they're good players. And uh, they lost their first game in the set and everything. And I walked by them and said, come on, girls, man, you can do this. I, you're better than this. Get out there on the court and do it. <laughs> I didn't think any more about it. I walked away. The next game, they won. The coach came over to me, thank you so much. For giving them a word of encouragement, a challenge. I'm thinking, I don't even remember what I said. And, uh, you know, sometimes just people need you just to say, you can do it. It requires motivation and effort. So, letter A, the confirmation of God's working. 2 Corinthians 9 and 2. See, we're so quick to say God isn't doing anything, and I'm here to tell you God is. 1 Corinthians, oh, I guess I better get in 2 Corinthians, wasn't it? 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2. It's easy to see the negative. Uh, if you want the negative, I got a whole list. I can give you the negatives. I know what they are every week. Joanne and I compare our notes on how many negatives can we say this day. But the reality is this, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 2, For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia. Who are you talking about, Paul? That's the Corinthians you're writing to. These Corinthians were corrupt. They were carnal. They were filthy. They disrespected and defiled the Lord's table. Well, wait a minute, I know the forwardness of your mind for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia. What is he doing? He understands there just needs to be a confirmation of God's working in somebody's heart. Somebody might not be where they ought to be, but bless God, if God's working, then rejoice. Amen? Oftentimes, I, I think we, we defeat ourselves in the church. Because we get so focused on the two or three that are not here rather than the 25 that are. I know because I'm a preacher. And that's the way preachers look at things. On Sunday mornings, I don't look across here and say, boy, I'm glad all these people are here. I look across the, and I, oh, they missed another Sunday. That seat's open. Where are they at? They should be here. I I'll tell you, i got to beat myself. You would not believe what goes on up here in this body, in this mind, on Sunday mornings. It's a battle because the devil wants me to be distracted from being motivated and excited so I can put forth the best effort that I can to encourage people and to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And so the confirmation of God's working, he's working in your life. So live to the potential of God's working in your life. Let her be, I gotta get done here. The confidence 
of a fervent prayer life. And uh, the Bible still says that we need to pray. We can pray believing. Uh, we can pray with faith. Uh, the, prayer of, uh, the prayer of faith will heal, heal the sick. We just need to have confidence uh, in praying. Uh, I had one of the students, that was one of the, the things they put down. I said, what, do you, what, what are your principles? And they said this, we can have confidence in God. And I'm going to tell you something, you get a teenager who said we can have confidence in God, that stirs my heart. Yes. Stirs my heart up real big time. Then let her see the countenance of ministry, uh, countenance, good night, the continuance of uh, ministry preparation. And uh, God is ever equipping us for the ministries that he wants us to fulfill. And it's exciting to see God do that. C.S. Lewis said this, relying on God has to start all over every day as if nothing has been ever done before. Every day, it starts over. It's a new day. Charles Stanley said this, your potential is the sum of all the possibilities God has for your life. People say, oh, I, I'm dealing with these teenagers. I teach 10th, 11th, and 12th grade Bible. And I, I tell you, they just do not see the potential they have. They absolutely don't comprehend it. They absolutely do not connect with it. And I'm trying to stir them up in the faith and telling them, now, wait a minute, you can have confidence in God, but you need to realize this, that God has a potential placed in you that you're not even aware of. And you need to live to the fullness of that. I love what Winston Churchill said. Continuous effort, not strength nor intelligence, is the key to unlocking our potential. You know what? Sometimes you just got to keep doing it. And you just got to keep doing it. And you just got to keep doing it. You say, why? Because I want to live an abundant life. And I know this, God's going to give me the victory. But I can't get the victory if I give up. When I was in the Marine Corps, we used to go running. We started out on a three or four mile trip. And by the time we were done, it was about 10 or 12 miles. Hey, man, hurrah. I just feel like going. Now I'll dream about it. And, uh, but the, the reason why is because you're running and somebody would fall by the wayside. And he would always circle us all the way around. Circle us around and come back and pick them up. You don't leave anybody behind. And you keep going, somebody else will fall up. You circle around, the whole platoon, come back and pick them up. And I think we forgot in the Christian life, that's what we're supposed to do. We're in a race. And we are running for the glory of God, and there are those that are going to fall by the wayside. It is our job to turn around and go pick them up. You say, well, I'm tired. I know the miles get longer, and the, 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 the stress on the body gets harder as we would be running those miles. And you'd have to push harder and harder and harder to endure to the end. Well, saints of God, that's what we need to do. I know it's hard. I know it's tiring. I know it's discouraging. I know it's overwhelming at times. But bless God, we're in the race for the glory of God. So let's go get the ones that fall and pick them up. Now, that wasn't in the lesson, but I'm glad I thought about it. Amen. 
You might have to preach on that on Sunday. Well, let's pray for each other tonight. Amen.